TGIM, Team RE. This is episode 285. It really, a lot of times it depends on who you surround yourself with and the environment that you're in. It can really skew what you think is normal and what's not normal. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got John. John took his last drink on August 31st, 2019. He is from Fayetteville, North Carolina, and he is 38 years old. I'm excited to share this episode with you all. John is my husband, and his journey and mine are very different. We've had to learn to respect each other. We've had to learn to understand each other. And we've also had to learn to be a team together. We share a home and we have two kids. So there is a lot going on. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you all about our YouTube news. Paul and Chris have been working on some amazing content that is being uploaded to our YouTube channel. I've personally been really enjoying watching these videos. They're full of value bombs, but also full of fun and laughs. I'm going to have Katie drop the link to subscribe to the channel in the show notes. So you can all head over there and check them out whenever you get a chance. And thanks, Katie, for doing our show notes. You're fantastic. And I'm grateful for you. All righty, let's work on finding your better you. I found that through this time period of uncertainty, insert COVID, I've pulled out one of my favorite books and made sure that I kept it handy. This book is When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. I mention Pema often, and for those of you that haven't heard of her, she is an American Buddhist nun, and throughout her work, she is always encouraging people to befriend the present moment, as challenging as it may be, and to find the lesson in the pain, to confront things just head on. The other day after I learned that schools here in California won't be opening in the fall, just as a reminder, I have a daughter who was supposed to start elementary school in the fall. So I heard this news and my mind started spiraling and I found myself walking towards my stack of books to grab when things fall apart. My copy is pretty highlighted (laughs) and I stopped as I was glancing through some pages and I saw the word impermanence. It was printed on page 59. So I'm going to read a little bit of what stood out to me from this page. Impermanence is the goodness of reality. Just as the four seasons are in continual flux, winter changing to spring, to summer, to autumn, just as day becomes night, light becomes dark, and then light again, in the same way, everything is constantly evolving. Impermanence is the essence of everything. It is babies becoming children, then teenagers, then adults, then old people, and somewhere along the way, dropping dead. Impermanence is meeting and parting. It's falling in love and falling out of love. Impermanence is bittersweet, like buying a new t-shirt and years later finding it as part of patchwork on a quilt. People have no respect for impermanence. We take no delight in it. In fact, we despair in it. We regard it as pain. Impermanence is a principle of harmony. When we don't struggle against it, we are in harmony with reality. Our suffering is based so much on our fear of impermanence. Our pain is so rooted in our one-sided, lopsided view of reality. Everything that ends is also the beginning of something else. I'm going to say that last sentence again. 
Everything that ends is also the beginning of something else. So let that sink in for a minute. I think collectively, it's safe to say that things are really hard for the world right now. The struggle is truly real. But I can't help but ask, how much of our suffering are we fueling through our thoughts, our fears, our ideas of permanence and control? How much are we piling on to the hardship? The emotions that arise when we want to hold on tightly to things, places, and relationships are really, really hard to sit with. They make our bodies feel really uncomfortable. They make our anxiety rise. They make our triggers appear. They make us want to numb out, cope, and drink. So what happens when we flip the script as Pema always does? What happens if we see this chaos as harmony? What happens if we try to understand that change has always been the new normal? Change has always been all around us. Sometimes our sense of control may have been deceiving us and it's an illusion. We think that we're the ones behind the scenes taking charge of things and outcomes, but in reality, we're just sitting in the audience watching the show. It takes time to get comfortable with change. And right now, there is change happening in the world almost every single day. Try to see this stage in life as a season, as a transition. Breathe. All right. Eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of sharing and rambles on RE for this episode. And before we hear from John, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. John, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Listeners, this is like our take 17. We've been laughing a lot and having a lot of bloopers. <laughs> We've been having a lot of bloopers, but here we are. I want to let you know that John is my husband. Him and I have very different journeys in terms of the paths that we've chosen on getting sober. And I just know that it's going to be very beneficial for you all to listen. And this morning we were actually making the bed and joking about whether or not we were going to get in a fight. So buckle up. <laughs> I'm not really sure how this is going to go, but I'm ready. Are you ready, John? I'm ready. <laughs> not for a train wreck, but I'm ready for an interview. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's get right into it. When was the last time you had a drink? So the last time I had a drink was in September. My sobriety data is uh, September 1st. Yeah, so it'll be, I, I want to say it's like eight or nine months at this point. Yeah. Yeah, this September will be one year. So I think, because I, I hate to say that I was the one taking tabs, but I think your last drink was August 31st, 
2019. So I think September 1st is your one year coming up. Yes. So I I think technically, yes, it is is the one year coming up. I am a little, as you mentioned, I'm a little less occupied with days and how long it's been. I think that it's, it's for me, it's, it's just another day. It took me a while to get to this point for sure, where with the mindset that it's just another day, I think that that, that comes at a certain point for everybody and everybody's little point is a little bit different. But for me at this point, like nine months in, it's, uh, it's just another day. Yeah, it's, it, definitely the first couple of weeks were like day seven, day <laughs> ten. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I do want to say that this has been the longest you've ever gone without having a drink, at least since totally. I met you, which is we're coming totally. up on ten years, a little bit over ten years of knowing each other. So this is a huge yeah. accomplishment. I'm proud of you. Well, I am so proud of you. It's, you know, it's definitely the longest since you've known me. There was a time from about the age of zero to 15 where I also <laughs> had went on really long stretches without any drinks. <laughs> but then after that, not so much. All right. Well, speaking of that, can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? Well, uh, I'm originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, I was born on the East Coast, spent some time there until I was about 22 to 23 years old. And then uh, I moved out here to San Diego, California, and I've been here ever since. I have a beautiful wife, beautiful, gorgeous, sober wife, coolest person I know. I also have two amazingly wonderful children with her. And for fun, I, I if I'm not in the water because we you know we live relatively close to the ocean um if i'm not surfing in the water i'm usually you can usually find me uh with my newfound covid hobby of of cycling i'm usually on the bike or um, i'm just out and about trying to be you know as active as physically possible we we do running we do cycling i like to i like to play golf so you know between work kids family wife marriage social responsibilities surfing, cycling, golf. That's it. I don't have time for anything else. Yeah, listeners, I do want to say that John is a very social being. So COVID has definitely been a little bit harder for him than for other people. He loves talking to people, making friends. He makes friends everywhere we go. And I think that just releasing some energy in any physical way that he can has really helped. Am I am I on the right track with oh, that? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah, that, yeah. So that, that, I mean, that's, that's basically me in a nutshell. And uh, I mean, who has time for a drink at that point, right? What do they say? The devil, the the, the idle hands, the idle hands, the devil's work, or something to that effect, something like that. Well, approach. per usual, remember I'm Mexican, so I don't really know what you're. <laughs> I don't know what idiom you're referring to, but it sounds like you got it. I'll just bring all the Southern ones out. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Can you, John, give listeners a little background on your history with drinking? When did you start? When did you realize it was a problem in life and just no longer serving your goals? Um, You know, drinking for me, like akin to I was I was just listening to an episode just today, actually. uh, And, and, you know, I've heard Chris's story before in the past, but he kind of talks about growing up in a rural rural area and how drinking is just a part of the culture. It's just accustomed to it. I mean, everyone's accustomed to drinking at a a young age and going out to the fields and house parties and stuff like that. And there was always kind of booze and whatnot. So it kind of, it started, the the drinking started in in high school, I would say. And and at that point, it was just kind of a weekend fun thing, party thing or whatever. And then um, 
And then college, obviously, it's a more social kind of status quo type thing. And everyone just drinks for fun and you get through school and it's just part of the culture as well. And then for me, drinking then sort of morphed into a weird post-work habit. And, I, and I've spoken with, I mean, obviously you're my wife and so you know all this, but like for those that don't know, for me, like personally, I, I feel like I attributed a lot of the, the style and the uh, mannerisms of my drinking were associated to how I watched my, my own parents drink. And for me, my parents weren't, they were never day drinkers. They were never, you know, they would never get crazy or anything, but they were uh, very much like work hard, put your head down, work all day. And then when they got home, they would crack a, crack a drink um, or crack a beer. And so I, as I got older and I found myself in a similar role or a similar situation where I would wake up, uh, either surf or try and work out or something and then go to work at the end of the day, that was my reward. So I ended up finding that, you know, from the age of about 25 to about 38, <laughs> I was drinking to where I was rewarding myself for a job well done um, uh, towards the latter uh, part, it, you know, I started to realize that it wasn't just a, a reward thing, that it, there was a lot baked into the drinking habits that were maybe covering up some anxiety that I was having, or uh, maybe I was just at a tough point financially, or um, maybe our marriage was at a point where we were getting to lots of arguments and, and disagreements, and there were, there were underlying fears that were baked into that um, that were causing me to, to numb it uh, with drinking. So, uh, that that's been kind of my history with drinking. It's obviously it's included lots of heightened moments, I would say, and definitely indicators of like there might be an issue here, and few indicators that were there's definitely an issue here if you're drinking. <laughs> not not even a not even a, a like a little like a little flag that was like, hey, there might be a problem. No, it was like, no, there's a big old big old problem here in front of us. <laughs> So did you have a moment that you can kind of pinpoint and say like, shoot, I started realizing that this was no longer working at this point, maybe not a specific instance, but like, when did you start thinking a little bit more about like, uh, maybe I should maybe moderate or initially like slow down? Or did you ever have some of those conversations just with yourself of like, mm, maybe I just can't drink this much anymore? Yeah, I mean, I would say I definitely like before you and I got married, like not even a question. Like, I don't think it ever registered in my head that, you know, you might have an issue. It was just like, this is what we do. We go out, we party. And, you know, it, it really a lot of times it depends on who you surround yourself with and the environment that you're in. It can really skew what you think is normal and what's not normal. So a lot of times, like I would come home to you and you are a less of a drinker than I ever was. And so you would look at my drinking and say, well, gosh, that's just abnormal. He is drinking way more than he should. But then I would go out with some of my work friends and everybody's just getting smashed and having a great time and, and you know, partying it up and whatnot. And I would come home smashed and, and, and I would say, what's the big deal? It's, this is just normal. And, and, and it wasn't until I got a little bit older and a little bit uh, surrounded by those that did not drink and, and, and started to enlighten myself to the habits of mine and what it was doing to me. And I mean, honestly, I mean, you get older too and you just start to realize that like, I, I know it's so cliche, but hangovers are just god awful as you get a little bit higher up in the age there. And so to answer your question, it was probably around my thirties is when I started really kind of questioning, like, do I have a problem with, with this? And, and, and did my rock bottom moment where I really realized there was a, an issue was when, you know, it, it really kind of put a, a line in the sand for us moving forward. I mean, we have two, we had two small children and it was a, a real deciding moment in our marriage. Like I'm either going to continue to go down this path where 
I try and maintain this, you know, cool attitude that I can drink and, and control it. Or I can just say, you know what, it, it, what's more important to me? Is it, is our marriage more important or is me just trying to get a buzz, be cool and go to social parties and be able to have some cocktails and some drinks? Like what's more at the end of the day, what's more important to me? Is it booze or is it my marriage and my family? And so that was really the moment where I, I really kind of said, hey, this is this is the time where you need to question what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I do want to this is going to be a little bit of a different interview, but I do want to rewind a little bit and just give listeners a little context on how I think also you said it yourself, who you surround yourself with is a big part of what you normalize. But I do want to say, and I'm very open about my own journey, but when we met, not only were we younger and and, you know, in that phase of wanting to impress each other, but our relationship has changed a lot. Just to give everyone a little context, I went into recovery for my eating disorder after we had met. So a lot of our initial dynamics were maybe we were mm -hmm. having fun, quote unquote, enabling each other with the best intentions. But, you know, like, let's have another shot and let's let's continue to party. I know a lot of the times I took advantage of the fact that you were a little buzzed to sneak away to the bathroom and do stuff that wasn't ne necessarily healthy for me and just allow me to use it as a distraction for you. And I think for us, you can speak a little bit more on that, but me starting this journey of recovery and you still just kind of doing the things that we were always doing, that's where we started to get a little bit of, of friction and a little bit of disconnect. Do you agree? I 100% agree. That's where we both, in hindsight, retrospectively looking back, I can say that's where our path started to diverge and go kind of two separate ways. Yeah, and I, I always like delivering the realness and raw truth, but also a lot of hope because I feel like you have to get through maybe some discomfort and hard stuff to get to the other side. And I feel like, oh, without we, a doubt. yeah, we get a lot of feedback in our groups and from other listeners who are in relationships or married of like, oh my gosh, I decided, but it's uncomfortable. We used to drink together or we used to have so much fun together. And I, I do want to say, and, and going back to the interview that you referenced with Chris, you know, it's always worth it, but it does take a little bit of just an uncomfortable phase of change because change is hard and then you kind of get to the mm -hmm. other side but it, I feel like that disconnect kind of had to happen so just wanted to provide some hope to people who are feeling maybe a little bit disconnected from their partners because it seems like your paths are kind of going on opposite directions but there's always a way back and it's an option as well so I just wanted to kind of sh throw that out there no agreed and, and I think that there, you know, there, you're right. I mean, there, it was there was an uh, uncomfortable time, and there's it's really it was all about us trying to find our groove about what one person was willing to accept and what the other person was willing to give. And so it's you know it you, it, it comes down to both people. I think be, being truly honest with themselves and saying this is all I have to give or can I give more? And the other person saying, you know what, I'm okay with this person doing this or I'm not okay with this person doing this. And you have to really be honest with yourself. And I, I think a lot of it was is you yourself were finding what you were comfortable with and what you weren't. Because there was a lot of, you know, as we joke about like men versus women, like you, you, I felt like we were filled, but you know, there were a lot of contradictions about I'm okay with this and I'm not okay with this. And then eventually you kind of figure out like, you know what, I'm actually, I'm not okay with this or I am okay with this. So with us, the, the two of us, we were both trying to identify and that part's the part you're talking about that gets a little messy. It's like, what are, what are you comfortable with? What am I comfortable with? And ultimately after that, that, you know, 
uncomfortable part, that hard part of really kind of talking things through for, what would you say? It was like a, like almost like a year. I mean, I, I feel like you started to go down your path of self-improvement and sobriety and just sort of testing the waters of that three or two, three years ago. Somewhere yeah. like that. Almost three yeah. years. Yeah. And, and then, you know, th- there was like resentment on my end. I was like, who is this person? Like, what is she doing? You know, because it, it, it really was about me then feeling threatened about giving up this uncomfortable lifestyle that I think deep down, I knew there were problems with that. and It wasn't sustainable. Um, this lifestyle of partying and being hungover all the time and having two small children. And, and looking back there, you know, I wish I would have adopted it a little bit sooner. I wish I would have been on your same path to improvement that you were on um, when you were on it. Um, but, you know, everybody has a different path. And, you know, you're even though you're younger than me, I feel like you're often more wise and, and educated and mature than I am. That's for damn sure. But, you know, we, once we got through that that stage of understanding each other, and then both realizing like this is what's really going to bring us together and the fact that we were both comfortable with it, that it made all the difference in the world. It just made, it felt like we've been finally able to get back on this sort of like complete deep understanding and connection. And, you know, you know, me, I'm very much into how I connect with other people. And, you know, I would say that over the last year, it's really been an amazing journey of reconnecting with my wife. It's like finding you again and discovering you again has been honestly the greatest year over this you know, last couple of years of us connecting and disconnecting, connecting and disconnecting. This last year has been nothing but an amazing reconnection to my wife. And disclaimer that that includes a lot of therapy sessions and a lot of yeah. <laughs> arguing and and a lot yeah, of uh, yeah. a lot of sitting with uncomfortable feelings and challenging each other. But I feel like also a lot of acceptance and really working on empathy. I remember when I met John, somebody back home in, in Mexico told me, uh, I really wish you the best and I can see how much you guys are into each other. But both of you are very stubborn souls and very opinionated people and when it comes down to this was like my mom's feng shui lady or someone like that she just said just be careful because a lot of the times in relationships you really have to put yourself in someone else's shoes and it doesn't seem like either of you are ready to do that and it's definitely taken us work to Sometimes we can't even see eye to eye to this day. So just also to let every, everyone know, it's still messy. But yes, it, it comes hand in hand with feeling more connected and understanding each other better. Agreed. 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 I just I want to comment because I do know you. I know you are considered high functioning, whether you mm-hmm. are drinking or not. You never you're never late to work. You are always You're always honoring your word. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you're there. Uh, He loves waking up to serve super early in the morning, even if you had drinks before. I mean, before you before you decided not to not to drink. So from the outside, it does look like your life is the same from people that may Mm -hmm. just like base everything off of your social media feed or just your friendships. So I feel like sometimes that's harder. Do you think that kept you in denial a little bit more? The fact that you were still performing per se, to use that word? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's like you, like we talked about earlier, the, the comparison game and the problem. And, and I, I heard this somewhere recently, like the, the old addict responsible of, of, well, look at him. Like, I'm, I'm not a problem because look at that guy. Like, I'm still showing up to work and I'm still, so I, I don't have a problem. That guy, he has a problem, but not me. Um, I suffered from that more than anyone else. Like, I for sure thought I got my shit straight. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. 
I think deep down, I can look at it and say that there were definitely times showing up to work. Like while I would, I was on time, I probably didn't smell the best, but at the same time, like I, I you know, at that point, and this would have been like probably in my like late twenties, early thirties. I mean, there were, there were just going to work was, was awful. Like trying to, trying to crush out reports or having to do a presentation of some sort. And it just, it felt so long so arduous and then come like two or three o'clock I was ready I was ready for that reward at the end like oh man I sat through that whole whole presentation and that whole seminar we had to go through like I am ready for us like when is happy hour let's you know let's get it going and you know you know in my late 20s and early 30s it was like lots of business trips I was traveling for work and you know everybody's coming in from out of town from other places and so everyone works really hard during the day but then everybody you know it's their it's their moment away from the house to go out and have a good time and go out to dinners and have fun and so it was a lot of that and coming home I think I think getting off the plane a couple of times you, you could just spell, still smell the uh the the booze from the night before that's for sure (laughs) yeah well I feel like there's a difference between being able to show up than wanting to show up in that state because you could you were one of those people that you could just power through and now I feel like you are able to in hindsight say like wow I just feel so much better and so much clear-headed from from an inside look what are some of the Mm -hmm. biggest differences for you you know, I, I saw something recently that really kind of summed up how I felt about this whole thing. Um, so a, a mutual friend of mine that I knew through other people, um, I, you know, it's, it's funny too. Like you open yourself up to sobriety and then like, I'm sh- I don't know the exact thing, but like you, you notice the things around you once you're in that sort of setting. Now, I, a buddy of mine, it, and it comes with, I'm sure it happens to everyone. Like, oh, I didn't know that guy didn't drink. Oh, I didn't know he was sober. You know, like a, a guy, a friend of mine, he, I just found, I just saw him post on Instagram the other day, like, uh, today was, was a year ago today that I decided to go uh, sober and not drink anymore. And I don't even think he used sober. I think he just said a year ago I, I gave up drinking. Well, I did it as a challenge to myself to see how, you know, how much um, determination or grit I had. I also, uh, the clarity that I've gained from this experience is, is profound. And, and it, it kind of feels that way. I think that when I first gave up drinking if being brutally honest it was a lot of like when i talked about counting the days it was like the first seven days i hope she notices that i've been a whole week now without drinking a lot of a lot of my initial giving up drinking was really to prove a point that i could do this that i don't have a problem and it wasn't until you know and it's all of this is so cliche and i thought i would never be that guy that's like oh man I'm oh well let me tell you you know after three months is when you're really you know it happens with kids a lot too like you let me tell you buddy I'm a dad to a five-year-old um you know and you can share all these battle stories and battle wounds that you go through and the same thing happens with this and so I while I started out with a goal of saying I'm going to prove to a dad that I don't have a problem that I can drink and you know that I could that I don't need to drink it then quickly within like a month, about around a month or two months, it quickly became like, no, I'm really doing this for myself. Like I've, I've got urges still at this early stage in the game, but I am not like, this is now for me. Like I'm, I'm actually really enjoying this. Like I'm actually level headed. All these things that I thought were going to be super hard, not as hard as I thought they were going to be. And uh, you know, yes, there have been tough times and it's been hard to work through. And I'm very vocal about sharing the anxious moments. But at the end of the day, like I'm doing this for me now. And and that's the feeling that's just been 
something I've been very proud of. And, and like I said, the clarity that I've, I've gained from it and the, the amount of work that I've been able to do, the, how, how vastly improved my surfing is becoming and, and, or has become. And, and, you know, back into, I, I used to work out all the time and then I don't any, I, I stopped for a while and now I'm working out again. And it's just crazy how much has changed. I'm super proud of you. It's been really nice to see that change. There's a difference between that recognition that you were looking for of like, she better notice. Like I could always tell when it was kind of stemming from a little bit more of, <laughs> from a little bit more of like a resentment yeah. standpoint than from uh -huh. like, than from now you being able to share with me your wins and just how much clearer and how much better you feel. And I, I know you're always someone who's been successful and who's been proven that you're just a, a total go-getter. But I just feel like it's been really nice seeing you be fully present. And I know the kids have really enjoyed that. Can you tell us a little bit more about how fatherhood has been different? Oh, you know, well, first off, thank you for all of your accolades. Please keep them coming. Uh, you know, the fatherhood thing was like booze was, is, is absolutely baked into the kind of the culture that we live in with young parents and you know, we would, we, you know, when we had our first child, like we would, we would consistently like take, you know, that we would use stroller walks as a, as a way to like, you know, let's go grab a beer at the, you know, at the brewery. And um, like, we would get Sienna out for a walk. Uh, and that was, you know, it was just like, uh, it was just part of what we did. And we meet up with other young parents, but what also comes baked in with that is similar to me showing up to work, just not, not ready to work. I was, I was showing up to parenthood, not ready to parent. It's like I, I was there and I was physically present, but I was not there. I was not there emotionally. I wasn't there mentally, um, but I was there physically. Um, and it, it, I found myself being short tempered quite a bit. Like I, I would just get more reactive if the kids were crying. I, I was just I had less patience. I, I just couldn't physically or not physically, but I just couldn't like emotionally and mentally be present for the kids as much as I'd wanted to. And, and you know, it is something that I am trying to make an amends for now. I am finding my like addictive personality all the way around. Like I, I can get OCD about certain things. And so like right now my, my son is super into Tonka trucks and like I bought him one freaking Tonka truck. And then like three weeks later, I've got the entire collection of Tonka trucks because it's like, it's just part of me wanting to give him the best that I can and be present now and, and do as much as I can now, mm -hmm. because this moment is fleeting and I've let so many moments pass um, that I don't want to, ha I don't want it to pass anymore. They're, they're too little. They're too important. I'm not going to get this chance again. So I am making the absolute most of every moment I can with the kids. And it feels so good. Every, every connecting moment with them is a, is a connection that I am going to cherish for the rest of my life. Well, A, remember, I do have access to our bank account. So maybe don't order another. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe don't order another Tonka truck in the next couple yeah. days. Because yes, he yeah. our living room has been now it looks like a <laughs> lot of construction site. Yeah, construction, construction site. There here. we go. And B, our children love you and you are their hero. So it's really cool. I think the fact that they can, that they can see you fully present and that they can benefit from that. And listeners, I talk about my dad here pretty often. He's also in recovery. And I do believe that this does get passed on. And I, and I do think that I feel very proud of us for making our efforts at breaking the cycle and just showing the kids a different way. And I'm always hopeful for different outcomes. I don't like thinking that it's just like the cards that we were dealt and, and addiction runs in our family. Like I want recovery to run in our family. You know, that's my goal, mm -hmm. not just to be like, 
well, it's just, you know, everyone has the drunk uncle or whatever. And, and I, and I think that's, that's a choice and that's an effort and our kids are going to have their, their stories to tell and we won't be able to control everything. But I think that we're not perfect parents, but I feel really grateful that we're showing them that there's a different way than most people think of. So it's, it's been awesome to see you as a dad as well. And tell us about a day in life right now. What tools work for you? Cause I know you and I have a very different tool belt. So I think it's interesting mm -hmm. for listeners to sure. kind of see that difference. What works for you? What, what do you do? Yeah, we definitely have different tool belts <laughs> without a doubt. I am not as active in, in community-based groups and support groups and, and, and whatnot. I definitely kind of lone wolf it. And, and um, I, I really do utilize my wife as my kind of outlet for, and which is not always, I will admit, it's not always the best because it feels like I inundate you with uh, all of my emotions when I probably should filter them out a little bit. But when I spoke to it earlier about the, the reward at the end of the day was always kind of my motivation for drinking. That still kind of reigns true today. Like I, I find that I don't get triggered throughout the day. Like if, I, if, I, if I'm at a baseball game in the middle of the day or we're at a party in the middle of the day, really not even that much of a problem for me. Like it's just I don't associate day drinking. Now, and, and, it's, and to further extrapolate on that, like it's more so if I have responsibilities after drinking i am really not motivated to drink at all that's why the end of the night works really well because i don't have anything really else to do but for me right now like day drinking day daytime i'm always fine the nighttime is where i really kind of have to use my tool belt and that is where i stay a little bit more present with my feelings and i know that i have this like witching hour from about five to then um and and so similar to what we spoke to earlier like i focus on getting out of the house and Odette knows that I'm always like, I want to pick up the kids from school and then immediately not even come home. Like we want to, I want to go do something. I want to be out and about, like I'm willing to, I'm willing to go to the beach. I want to go to the park with them. I want to go do something because if I'm not at home thinking about what I, you know, about what I could be doing, then, you know, my mind starts to go somewhere else. And then I use lot, lots of soda waters, lots of kombuchas. I actually do love NA beers because it really, for me at least, that that kind of just one NA beer and the the, the kind of the uh, similar to like a smoker when they're they need the motion of the cigarette to the mouth. Sometimes the, the just the, the NA beer will completely make that craving go away, which is great for me. I do a lot of improvement reading. I actually just like to read for fun as well. That helps a lot. But usually after about 7 p.m., my my sort of cravings go away, and then I I don't even think about it anymore. But for me, my tool belt, like, is, is the, I don't want to say, like, a lift and shift, but, like, it's almost like a poppy replace mm -hmm. uh, is, what, what I, is what I would do here is, like, uh, cut beer, uh, scratch, uh, you know, control X, and then control V with uh, kombucha. <laughs> what is your favorite NA beer brand so far? Ah, uh, you know, I, I have an order coming in from Athletic Brewing. I'm waiting to see what their IPA tastes like. I just had the groovy IPAs. The, I think they're called the, um, I forget what they were called, but they were, they were super tasty. But for me, the, the best one so far is the local one. It's called Two Roots and they make this, uh, it's called the Straight, Straight Dank IPA. And it is definitely the most hop forward NA IPA I've tasted so far. Um, hands down the best NA IPA for me, at least that I, I, I just can't get enough of it. I love those things. We always joke that they basically cost the same amount of money as an alcoholic. They, beer. I, <laughs> it's not more. It's not, I think that, yeah, sometimes that, like those, those four packs of NA IPAs are like 13, 14 bucks. 
<laughs> that's why I'm, 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 that's why I'm happy one of them sort of satisfies my craving, and then I'll go back to uh, lime flavored soda water from Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do. You deserve it. You deserve it. You get yourself that expensive four pack. It's okay. And then I want to follow up on this. Just going back to us talking about how social you are. How has it been reintroducing yourself into social settings? since you made this choice? Um, did you have to kind of pull back a little bit? Were you comfortable from the beginning? How do you talk to people about it? Just socially speaking from a place of someone who kind of has FOMO. That's the truth. Oh, God. Um, I'm the worst FOMO <laughs> How ever. How has it been for you socially? You know, the, the first set, like the first few months were, were definitely tough. It was a lot of like, I felt I know, I'm ashamed to admit it, but there was a lot of like pretending involved. Like I, I can explain. We went to a Padres game, uh, so the baseball team here in San Diego. We went to go see, and I had to go with work. And I honestly, I went outside and I went to buy an O'Doul's because they had beers inside. But in my mind, I said, you know what? If I walk in with a beer, no one's going to ask me like, hey, do you want a beer? I'll already have a beer. So I went outside and I went to go get the, I went to like the little kiosk and I was like, can I get in a, you know, can I get in a duels? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, a, like, you know, that one, that one over there. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That. And, and, I, and I got it and the lady like gives it to me and then it's just in the can. And I was like, no, 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 no. I need a, I need a cup. And she's like, oh, you already got the can. And I was like, I need a cup. I want to pour it into a cup. And she's like, well, I can't give you a cup unless you buy a beer. I'm like, I did buy a beer. She's like, no, you have to buy a draft beer. Those are $15 a draft beer. And I was like, I already bought this O'Doul's, which was six bucks. And she's like, well, you have to pay 15 to get the cup. And I was like, I'm not going to pay $15. And I was like, just give me the cup. I'll pay $15 for it. And I, I like, so the beginning part was really, really hard. And I was just, you know, constantly shifting out. Um, but at some point, once I, once it was more for me, and it was my decision versus me trying to prove a point to you. Versus it, my it became, decision? Versus my ultimatum? Oops. That's what I said. No, <laughs> my, my decision. Once it was my, yeah. Once it was my, I meant more so like my, my choice to choose, you know, not, not to prove a point anymore, but to more so like this is for me. Um, then it became, then it became super easy. I was just like, yeah, I'm not drinking. Uh, like, no, you know, I haven't drinking in a while. So it feels great. It feels super good. And then like, you know, and then and then I'm not afraid to be like, can I get a NA beer? Like, you, what do you what do you have for non-alcoholic beers? It actually, feels better to instead of saying I, I point to any or pointer to anyone out there. Don't say NA beer in a bar because it just confuses people. If you just go for it and just go all in and say, do you have any non-alcoholic beers? Real easy, just get cuts right through. That way, you're not like a what. What is it? <laughs> Just that story, though, at the stadium is one of my favorites, considering you even don't like paying extra money for anything. Oh, anything. <laughs> if they had uh... used beer, I buy almost everything used. I... <laughs> Do you have any used beers back there, like Craigslist beers? Because I'll take those. <laughs> if anybody knows me, I buy everything on Craigslist. I, I hate paying full price for anything. <laughs> oh, goodness. Tell me if you ever had gotten any pushback. So have you been pleasantly surprised with people's reactions when you tell them like, I'm just not drinking, I feel great? Or have you had, have you had uncomfortable moments? You know, yeah, no, I, I, your, your true friends are totally 
are one hundred percent on board with you because your true friends know like you pro- you probably need to quit drinking for a little while, bro. <laughs> like all all my friends have seen my true colors, so they've all been like, you know, they're, they're, when I told them I wasn't drinking, they were like, oh yeah, cool man, good for you. <laughs> Deep down, they're like, oh thank goodness. But like you know, just like other than like a random person at work that's like, oh what do you mean? What do you mean you're not drinking? You know, because they don't know the full story. It's just like it's easy to just go. Yeah, no, 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 no. I just, you know, I wasn't feeling it. It's just not feeling, like, I feel great not drinking. So, yeah, I'm not drinking, bro. And it, just as simple as that. And it's been, it's been the best decision. And not, not too much, but like you're, you're saying, yeah, a lot of people have been super supportive and a couple of people are like, oh, no way, that's really cool. And then every now and then you get the, uh, I haven't been drinking either. And you didn't even know they weren't drinking. And yeah. that happened, that's happened more than, I just found out one of my coworkers like five years sober. And I was like, what? Really? Yeah, I feel like that has happened to you multiple times. Then you come home and share and you're like, guess who doesn't drink? And and I also do want to uh, point out a time that I think you were out on a business trip or something and, and you went on a dinner and you messaged me and you said, we went out to dinner at X place, I can't remember. And you said, well, I got a soda water, but to my surprise, X, Y, and Z got a kombucha, a tea, and a coffee. Like you also start noti- you've started noticing that not everyone... Maybe they're not all sober, but not everyone is always drinking. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I was, uh, I was always so concerned with my own drinking. I wasn't really paying attention to anyone else. Uh, That's yeah, why we it, say that at social events, no one's going to notice because everyone's so obsessed with themselves. It's true, and you know the cool thing is, is we're kind of living in a time and in a society where, at least in our bubble. I mean, I can acknowledge that we're in a little bubble here, but like. It's totally fine if you are vegetarian or you don't eat meat. Like, nobody gives a shit. And so it, it, the, at the end of the day, like, if you're like, oh, I don't drink, people are like, whatever. <laughs> like, nobody cares. Yeah, you, you do also end up feeling more comfortable in the decision. And, and the better you feel, obviously, the more comfortable. And the more you attract people who, who, like you said, you didn't even know. And you may share that with them. So that's great. I have one more question for you before the rapid fire round. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Final question is, what are you excited about right now? What possibilities in life now that you are a little more clear headed? You know, I don't think I've thought that far out. You know, I, I think I'm, I, I'm just really excited to continue to see what this, this is all about. Like, I, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there's sometimes I have the ideas where I'm like, you know, you know, maybe I'll, maybe, maybe one day, you know, I've, I've proven my point at this point. I, I, I can just go back and have, have a beer or something like that. But then I always have to remind myself, like, no, like if I do that, then I would go right back into that shitty feeling that I've had for a really long time. And then I'm potentially jeopardizing everything that I've just worked so hard to write the ship on. And we're finally like got the right coordinates. We're, we're on path to our destination here. And, and I, why would I want to try and jeopardize that? So for me, like I, I'm looking forward to our kids starting elementary school and the next chapter here in my in my in my work and my career and post COVID and 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 the, all the fun trips that we have planned as as a family. Like you know, I'm ready for all that and and just like the budding friendships that I, I have been developing. Like we, you know, I'm trying to plan you know cycling trips and surfing trips and um exotic vacations with my wife and you know i'm just it, it, it's it's all it's all exciting because it feels like there's a positive future ahead of me and that is more refreshing than anything else yeah also very unsolicited advice but it can't get any better than <laughs> it can't get any better than 
a sober wife and a sober father-in-law to where like you're not having to deal with these family gatherings where there's this adult peer pressure of like come on son have a drink with me like my dad's bringing you like bottles of topo chico by the second I don't know. <laughs> your uncle though your uncle can get pretty rowdy though <laughs> i know <laughs> we won't say his name we won't say his name just in case he's listening <laughs> to tío to tío loco Oh, all right. Well, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabulous. Are you ready? Ready. What is a memorable moment in your journey that you can like look and see a picture of? I would say a surf trip sober recently over Christmas. So okay. I'm driving to and from Guadalajara to La Ticla, Michoacan and and doing the whole thing sober and chilling in a hammock and having a great time and just catching uh, uh, it's such an amazing experience all, all the way around and not being foggy or clouded or concerned with uh, what if my wife might be upset with me when I get home. It, 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 yeah, truly a great time. What are some of your favorite resources other than kombucha and LaCroix? Maybe favorite couple podcasts or books you've read? You know, I love the, I, I'm sure a million other people do as well, but the Dak Shepard podcast is great for me. He is just uh, super open about his own journey and his own like uh, path to recovery and that he's just uh, openly sober and, you know, stays active in that, that community and, and gives back quite a bit. He, for me, is a great uh, guiding light on how someone can be vulnerable, how someone can be open and just not shy about their experience and does not give a fuck if you care or not. Um, it's just like, this is my truth. This is what I live by. And, and I love that. And it's something I, I try and uh, lean towards that or lean into that, I should say, more than anything else. What would you say to day one, John, if you could talk to him? It's going to be a lot easier than you think it is. And it's the, just in the future, just trust me, it's the right decision. It is the best thing you can do right now just just strap in and, and lean in bro i thought you were gonna say in the future trust your wife <laughs> that too yeah just what I, and not even just with that just with any and all aspects of marriage just whatever she says that's the truth that's the, the, the you know that's the path you stay you stick to what she does and you'll be with a happy wife is a happy life what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze just do it, man. Just hop in. Um, it, I sound so California sometimes. I hate that. <laughs> my, my my younger Southern self would be so so disappointed. Um, I, if I if yeah, if you're thinking about it, if you think it's a problem, just give it a whirl. But at least do it for like three months. Just make it a thing where you say, "Hey, I'm going to do this. Let's just see what happens." I have several buddies that have gone back to drinking that did it for three months and then. They and now they're doing it again because it just feels good and it feels like it's the right thing and they're loving the clarity that they're getting. Just try it. What's the worst that can happen? Just try it. All right. And before we depart, give listeners your own. You may want to ditch the booze if line. You may. So this was a this was a low point of our marriage, but it's uh, in hindsight, it's kind of funny looking back on it. You may want to ditch the booze if you go on a camping trip with your wife. And you, the last thing you remember was having a great time at the restaurant, and then you wake up in the tent by yourself <laughs> with none of your family. And you may want to think about ditching the booth. You zip up your, you zip down your tent, and you peek outside, and you go, "Babe, honey, you there? Anybody here? What happened? I was at the restaurant. What happened? 
<laughs> that, that's probably you may want to. You slept alone <laughs> that night. You slept alone with the bear. I could have. I would have fed you to the bears if I could that night. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for doing this with me, babe. I know it was very brave of you, so I am extremely proud of you. Thanks for sharing. And this was fun. I'm honored that you had me on your podcast, and uh, I'm so, so proud of you. Keep doing it. I love it. You too. I love you, babe. Bye. Very well, Timari. That wraps up our interview for today. And before we say adios, you know what's coming. Your weekly challenge and or food for thought. What are you trying to hold on to right now? What do you think would happen if that changed? Are you not allowing yourself to enjoy it now that you have it out of fear that it'll be gone? Everything that you have in your life right now is a gift if you choose to see it that way. So just think about that prompt for today and, and keep it in the back of your mind this week. Last thing, if you're enjoying this podcast with me as the host, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes for the show. The more reviews we have, the more people's lives we can touch. You are a part of this movement too. Recovery Elevator, every single thing that you are looking for is already inside of you. I love you guys. 